0: There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least 10 meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America Network of Food Banks. Please make a donation today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you. Get
1: ready for the Run It Again podcast. Huddle up, huddle
0: up. Every week. You'll be hearing stories that take you beyond the daily sports grind. With
1: unique insight from former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. Just feels like the college football season discussion gets more and more complicated. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on earth, Super Bowl winning coach Mike Martz.
0: I do think professional sports has such an impact on the American psyche that I think everybody's going to want to try and get this up and running in some version of it. We'll connect you directly to the source and tell you what's really going on. The biggest issue is, and I think this is important, is they're not exposed to family either. Oh boy, that's going to be interesting. With conversations and tales from guys on the inside. So
1: click the button to subscribe for free and you'll get episodes sent straight to your phone every week. It's Run It Again.
0: Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts
1: with the coach, Mike Martz. You know, I think for a long time John Madden had gotten the, the the youngest head coaching position or was the youngest head coach in the NFL for a long time I I thought and I think he was somewhere in his his early 30s 33 30, I think and I think th- yeah, Al Davis right.
0: actually was 31 when he when, he, when they started that what, AS, was he you know the old okay. AFL, yeah. yeah
1: yeah so so now there there was a a contrast in thinking because the old guard Thought you had to have the 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 Papa Bear Hallises. You had to have um, the Vince Lombardies. You know, you had to have guys that had a little gray around the sides and maybe even more gray on top, if anything on top, in order to get the feel of the right leader of of men of young men. And when did that start to change? Was it was it around Madden's era there, as you say?
0: I think I think what's happened, first of all, just about the age thing, just to qualify a little bit, because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean you've been doing it right for a long time, you know. So, yeah, right. I think the experience and the judgment and the personality has something to do with that. But I, I do think it changed when, you know, it kind of the league started firing more and more coaches. You know, when I first came in with before the free agency thing happened, I came in, you know, a year or so before that at the Rams in L.A. and There was a certain stability within the league that there wasn't that big a turnover like there, you know, in the 90s and the, you know, the early part of the, you know, 2000 to 2010 kind of era too, where you'd see 11 changeovers, you know, seven to 11. And, you know, Dick Seltzer guy used to work with God bless him. We were a holdovers at the Rams when they fired Chuck Knox, and he said, "Well, let's take a book and see who they can hire." And and we came up mm-hmm. with three names. You know, our little committee came up with three names. So, I think what happens is there's more firings as, as there is qualified people. So, what they do is they start they start taking a chance on younger guys, and which is fine because some of the great ones like Belichick and and uh, Andy Reid were were head coaches at a relatively early age. So, I'm not so sure that that age thing is as big a factor as i once thought it was i do think that yeah. you have to know this game inside and out and that there's uh, age isn't applicable necessarily to that so you got sean McVay, 34 to rams when he got hired there marshall called me and told me how excited because he was on the interview yeah, said, like well,
1: you're talking about marshall falk marshall
0: falk yes. yeah and, and i said marshall this, this is a bit of a reach. I was, I was very pessimistic about him because he's so young. He said, Mike, if you sat in there in that interview and listened to him and the conviction he had and the knowledge and the details, which is really critical to me, that's the number one thing is these guys being able to know and understand the details of the game, not just at their position, but the entire game. And so he's yeah. really unusual, and, and he is extremely unusual. And as was Belichick, because he was in his early 30s at the Browns. Was he not? I think he was, or, or 30s, somewhere in there. And, you know, Sean yeah. Payton, probably around 40 or whatever. So all these guys, that the, the commonality there to me, Ron, is that they're they really know football, not just what they coach, but they know the entire game exceptionally well they're really top-notch guys do and they excel at the position or the coordinator's job that they do pete carroll's another example you know when he went out to sc i called him to congratulate him he was laughing he says you know this is awesome mike this is i'm having so much fun because you know he pete and his energy and recruiting it it's a it's a match made in heaven yeah and then uh, i was talking to him about you know the football side of it and the Pac-10 was going to see some blitzes that they'd never seen before, and he knew how to adjust them. So the intricate part of that, and where experience is such a big factor to me, is you don't have to figure things out during a game or in preparation. You've already seen it, and you know how to respond. And that's the big plus of having experience. But if you've got assistance on, on your staff with great experience, like basically Sean McVay had on defense when he initially took the job there, um, that can help you buffer through the next step for a successful head coach in this league to me is having enough flexibility and not be so system-oriented where you can move and change and morph, not just during the season, but in the course of a game if you have to. So many of these guys that I've talked to through the years, Ron, when they get these jobs, they have a preconceived notion of how this thing should be, and invariably they're wrong. It's a day-to-day process. When you become a head coach, you have to figure it out each day. I don't care how long you've been in it because this game morphs and changes with your personnel and what you can do. And if you're trying to fit something into a box, that box is going to break and you're not going to make it.
1: Hmm, That's interesting. So let's run this back. Uh, Let me go to the Super Bowl a few years ago, the Rams and the Patriots. Did Sean McVay not adjust – And did he not know how to adjust being the magnitude, first-time situation of something this big for him?
0: I felt bad for him because, you know, he did such a great job during the season. They were very talented. And he had an offense that the league really hadn't seen before much of. Their passing game was really predicated on such a dynamic and and really well-designed run game. And so when the quarterback could get back, he's got plenty of time. He's taking shots down the field. But really, you know, when they were behind and you look at them, and they did get behind during the season a little bit, they'd figure it out. And But sooner or later, they get big plays. But they didn't have to play a two-minute offense much. Yeah. Well, they get into the Super Bowl. And, of course, Belichick has been around, and he knows he's going to take away what you do well. So he put him down in the gaps. He put more defensive linemen down inside to stop the run. And then, you know, with that, the pressure. So now you're forced to team into drop back passing that, that's not very good at with their line. That's not what they do. And now you're behind. You're trying to make something happen as a drop back passer. You're getting sacked and took him out of his comfort zone. And he never really recovered or adjusted from that. That's a great learning situation for him. He did not adjust to what they did in that game. It, it shook him up, and he didn't have an answer for it, and it cost him the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know Ronnie Lott came out this week, and Ronnie's a good friend of, of, of mine, and known him for quite some time, and he made a really bold statement uh, regarding Kyle Shanahan. He put Kyle Shanahan on par with Bill Walsh, the the immortal Bill Walsh, and. That that made my eyebrows rise up quite a bit. I, I I have some questions about that, but I think the biggest question for someone like Kyle Shanahan is a couple years ago when he was uh, offensive coordinator in Atlanta, you know, he was in a Super Bowl against the Patriots that literally I, I turned the TV off and went outside and did yard work. I thought the game was over. And somehow, some way, they don't close the game, and and they end up losing the game. And then fast forward now to last year, last Super Bowl, uh, the last drive. You know, whether you agree with the play calling or not, the, the run game isn't there. The game's in the quarterback's hands, and and arguably, maybe the worst last two series in the history of the Super Bowl, and they lose that one. So those are. Or, or monkeys on the back that Kyle Shanahan is going to have to exercise in my mind. He's going to have to get past those to, to be proven that he is one of the best coaches to coach in, in in the history of the NFL.
0: Well, I'd agree with you in that part. I think Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Mike Vrabel are the three guys to look at in terms of the future of this game in terms of being great head coaches. And, and I think Kyle's yeah. extremely smart. I do yeah. think that he's what I said before, he can change and morph in a game, um, as well as anybody. Uh, I I agree with the way that, that ended up. And I think that's an experience that he's got a memory bank and, and deal with and and fix. Um, sometimes when you, when it's in the crunch, uh, you can't coach scared. You have to, you know, you got to go for the prize. You just do. And not right. worry about it, and and make the best play call you can, and not be conscious of the results or the potential part of that. I don't know where that's played into it. You got as old John Cooper, coach I used to coach for, used to say, you got to win the surest way, you know, however <laughs> that is, right. you got to figure it out, and that's your job. Right. And I agree with you at that part. Which, but you know, there's a lot of great things that got him into that Super Bowl that he did. And however that came apart, whatever the decision-making process is, I think he's capable of overcoming that and and being a, just a great head coach. I really do. I think knowledge-wise and from his understanding of the game and his ability to implement things and change and be creative, I think that Ronnie's not very far off with his statement. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the guy, there's another guy, Mike Rabel, that I'm really, really high on yeah. as a football coach because – here's a dynamic personality. He's a man's man. He's, he's a guy that guys just want to be around. You know what I mean? He's right. A tough guy that's played the game at the highest level, but I watch him on the sideline, the decision-making, how quick he is. And, and they just don't beat themselves, you know, and right. uh, they get in a position to win. They get it done. Uh, he'll step on your neck. As they say, <laughs> I, I, I kind of agree with Ronnie, to be honest with you, but those three guys yeah. and, and Sean McVeigh is going to be in this league for a long time as a great head coach. And, We'll see him in the Super Bowl again, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, now speaking
1: of, of coaches that start off in pretty good company, meaning other staffs, you were you mentioned Bill Belichick. Well, Bill Belichick learned from the master, and that's Bill Parcells. Belichick was a longtime defensive coordinator with the New York Giants. And if you watch the way Belichick coaches, the way he he leads his team, the way he talks or doesn't talk to the media – um uh, he, it's a lot of that is, is Parcells. And, and I, and I see that in, in, in his, the way he coaches and the way he does things. And, and I think it's been a reflection of the win loss record for him historically.
0: Well, I think that's, it's interesting that you say that because I think, I do think that the personalities are similar. Yeah. Now, I don't know that Bill actually, you know, by the process of being with him, obviously, Bill Belichick has taken a lot from him, as we all do as yeah. coaches. You know, you 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 glean stuff from guys, good or bad, and you memory bank it and you use it. You know, uh, when you become a head coach, and certainly, certainly, you know there was a big impact there. But ultimately, it's just like people used to ask me. So, who do you pattern your yourself after? You know, what who who would you, you know, who would you who are you trying to be basically? It used to really offend me. Not because <laughs> – yeah. because it, it just it, – this isn't – you know, it's just not that simple. You just don't do that. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, you got to figure it yeah. out every day, you know. Not now, right. the approach yeah. and and the attitude part of it, I think their personalities were probably pretty similar, and that's probably why they got along so well, too, in terms of, you know, their approach to the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I paused a little bit there when it came to handling the media because I always thought Bill Parcell's press conferences were just – epic oh they were weren't they they fun to watch i look forward to them yeah especially the ones in dallas because it was clear to me and clear to anyone who actually came from the game and knew anything about football that he was just bs in the media the entire time but those guys all thought that they were getting the the real deal the real deal but yeah (laughs) they thought they were just getting it all. And, and the way he would answer a question especially with something that he didn't have an answer for. He would start off and say, well, okay, so it starts like this. It's first and 10, <laughs> but we get an offside. We jump off sides, right? Yeah. So now we go back. Okay, it's first and 15. And then so he goes in this whole diatribe. Before you know it, it's 15 minutes later, and – They've run, run out of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's ingenious. Yeah, yeah it
0: is. It, but they both have a way of, of talking to the media without saying anything. Without saying
1: anything. Oh, and my think, gosh. And that's yeah. really
0: important. You know, um, with all respect to the media, you know, obviously, you know, they're trying to get a story and, and that's yeah. what their job is. But. Yeah. They'll go at any length to get it and report just about anything. So you have to be careful, obviously. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I always thought Andy Reid – and there are some other coaches out there. Um, Frank Reich, I think, is is a – he's not a young coach because Frank's no. been around the game for a while. Yeah. But Frank, again, like Vrabel uh, and like Peterson, guys that have played the game and guys that see the game from a different angle, and they, they got a moxie about them that – that you don't see often. So I, I didn't want to leave those guys out.
0: Oh, no. And I didn't mean to leave them out either. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. It, there's no question, but the commonality of, of all those guys that are, are going to be great coaches and have been yeah. a great coach are, you know, like you said, Frank Reich and and, and uh, Peterson, they, they have intimate knowledge of the game, not just what they coach, but the entire scope of it. And they have to see that because you have to manage the game and the guys that are coaching Yeah. You can't just yeah. if you're an offensive guy. You can't turn the defense off and just ignore it. You can't do this. You have to. <laughs> you have to question some things. What are we doing here, guys? This isn't right. You know. Otherwise, you got a chance yeah. of losing team. Here's let me tell you a real quick story. This this really affected my whole career as a coach. When I was at the Rams, uh, about two days before camp, our our offensive line coach uh, Jim Merkembeck had throat cancer diagnosed. So Chuck Knox came down out. You have to understand my background it was a quarterback guy and, and coordinator at Arizona state and stuff. So, and I was coaching the tight ends at the time over there. It was my first job in the league. And he came in and as only Chuck can say, Mike, he said, uh, Jim, back. He's uh, got cancer. You got the offensive line. Yeah. I said, what? Yeah. He said, you're going to coach the offensive <laughs> line. So anyway, you know, I'm, then sleep the next two or three days, and I'm walking to practice. And, and Jackie Slater, God bless him, one of my all-time favorite players, yeah. is walking with me to the practice field. We've got to walk about three blocks, you know, over to that Fullerton field uh, yeah, from the you yeah. know the dorms. I era. remember
1: that, right? Right. Yeah.
0: And so he started laughing. He said, <laughs> He said, Hey Mike, he said, You nervous? <laughs> I said, Of course I'm nervous, <laughs> Jackie. Jackie. I'm scared to death. And he, he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, well, if you can just tell me or show me one thing that will help me or help me be a better player, you got me. That's right. And I never yeah. forgot that. So as yeah. players, these new head coaches come in, they figure out pretty quickly whether or not this guy really understands the game and knows it and can help them. And that's why there's enough of them that come in for a year or two and then they're gone because the players just, they just turn them off.
1: They figure it out that this guy's yeah. faking it,
0: right? Yeah. Well, yeah, they just don't know, and that's why I say the knowledge of yeah. the game. If you can't demonstrate a terrific knowledge of the game and and tell these guys how, you know how they're going to play the game and, and how to win, if you can't express that because you don't know it, they find that out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, the, you know. Regardless, we, you, know, of how- you, you you know you've you've been yeah. through how many head coaches have you been around, and you can probably rate enough. them in terms of that, right? Enough,
1: right? And that's an important point, Mike. I just wanted someone. Who could tell me uh, how I can get better? Right, that's all. exactly. Yep. That's what right. coaching I, is. I, yeah, I didn't need the whole mental game. I didn't need the berating. I didn't need, you know, some guys need that. I, I think that's what certain guys like Parcells were good at. They knew how to coach certain people. Some guys need to be yelled at, some guys need to be criticized in front of the whole team, some guys just need to be pulled to the side quietly and say, now listen, you know, that was crap. You know, you can do better than that. That kind of stuff affected me more than anything else. You know, because that, yeah, no, that's quite. how it every, was,
0: but yeah. You know, every player is different on the team and you, you use yeah. different methods to reach these guys within your own personality. You know, you don't have to become a different person, but you know, yeah. when you walk out on the field as a coach, you just kind of, at least I felt like you just are a different person. You know, you're amped up, you're hyper, hyper sensitive to everything that's going on. You know, Ron, one of the yeah. things that, that I learned as a head coach on in the practice field that I didn't realize I learned. Was I start? you start watching body language, not just players, but coaches as well. Hmm. And you yeah. figure out real soon when you have a problem someplace, either with a player yeah. or a coach or whatever, you, it just, and you just become sensitive to it because you are amped up so much and so aware of what's going on. And, and sometimes you can address problems before they know there, there, there is a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, Andy Reid is is a special person for a lot of reasons, and, and he is for me personally. We, we, I first met Andy, uh, you know, obviously doing games with Fox, but we got to know Andy and his family pretty well over in the Pro Bowl because, you know, the, the Eagles went through a phase there where they couldn't get out of the NFC Championship game. You know, they'd always get All bounced. Right. So it used to be that the loser of the NFC Championship game or AFC Championship game – coached in the Pro Bowl so it was bittersweet we would see them like three four straight years over there because they were going through that that deal and uh Andy took the time and this is without me asking him to do anything like this he took the time to speak with my my boys who at the time were probably like five six years old maybe seven and he he has this. It was like a a staff meeting. He he's talking to them about life and about what's expected from them and how to treat your parents and everything. And just just to have that that kind of wherewithal and to have that kind of sens- sensitivity to do that is amazing. That told me a lot about Andy. And and from that point on, you know, our, our families have been great friends. So it's great to see him have the success he's had so on and so forth.
0: Uh, no question. You know, when I first got the job there, you know, they have the owner's meetings and, and Andy's wife and my wife became pretty good friends in a short time down right. there. And, right. But he is one, he's probably, if you pulled all the head coaches in the league and say, who's, you know, like they do in golf, you know, the nicest guy in golf. You see that in the golf magazine, if you ever read those things, but He's probably the favorite guy in the entire league. He's he's one of the all-time good guys. You know, everybody loves Andy Reid, and that's why everybody's so excited when he won it finally, that, you know, he deserves it. If anybody deserved it more, I mean, it would be Andy Reid. So we're really excited that that happened for him, and, you know, hopefully he's got continued success now with this quarterback situation then.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, I, I didn't want to leave out his wife, uh, Tammy. She's she's, oh, she's She just is real, the ball yeah. of energy now. <laughs> she, she is. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> she and she Julie had a good beautiful beautiful time. Like Julia, yeah. Yeah. The Real Deal. Speaking of the new deal, uh, Pat Mahomes struck a uh, 10-year contract extension for a little bit more change, I guess you could say, in, in the neighborhood of $400 Um uh, what are your thoughts on that one?
0: Well, from what I could read, it's uh like semi guaranteed money, four hundred and seventy uh total with incentives that comes out to about five hundred million. Yeah. Um, I think obviously if there's ever a quarterback in the league at that age that deserved a contract like, like that, obviously it's Patrick. we no, the league's never seen anybody like quite like him. Uh the future everybody's excited for. Of the quarterbacks that have had ten-year contracts, which is what four or five of them, uh, none of them have reached the ten-year deal. Which and they're structured for that. Now, let me explain something about the and you know this being a former player. The longer the years, the better it is for the club in terms of the signing bonus. And the signing bonus is really what you have to be interested because in, that's immediate money, that's guaranteed money. It's all up front. So in a maybe a four hundred and fifty million dollar contract, let's say. He gets 75 million upfront, Well, or whatever it is that can be amortized against the cap now over the next 10 years as opposed to five or seven or whatever. So it, it really helps the club. Then there's money that can be put in there in terms of, you know, the paragraph five, as you know, is the, the base salary and maybe the base salary for Patrick is 500,000 a year. Well, mm-hmm. then maybe in June 1, there's a roster bonus that if he's still on the roster there, he gets a $10 million roster bonus, which is salary. But that gives it, that kind of gives them an out. In other words, if they, don't, if they feel like they've got a part and he can become a free agent, there's a way out of it for both of them with these roster bonuses that kind of can be done in, in June. So some of it can be backloaded. That's very complicated. But the right. thing that I'm most interested in and I'd like to know is, you know, how much of this is up front, how much you got up front. And
1: then someone hit me with this one yesterday, and I kind of got a little twisted up because I, I I love the guy as a player. I think he's the right fit, but he hasn't done it yet. And I, and I know that ignites a firestorm of questions and accusations about what he's got around and blah, 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 blah. But someone said, OK, well, then the Cowboys now have to give Dak Prescott at least that. I said, "Are you?" <laughs> I don't get that. No, they don't. The no, Cowboys, don't. in my mind, don't have to do a damn thing. The, the the Pat Mahomes has gone to the promised land and he has delivered. He is the face of the league, along with some a couple other guys like Russell Wilson's up there. He's gotten his ring, but there's a big difference between a ten year, four hundred million plus contract extension when you've won the Super Bowl. And when you haven't won the Super Bowl, there's a lot of distance in there.
0: There is. Uh, and, and I think there's a difference between the two. Although I will tell you, I think Dak is, I think he should be and will be in the top five of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Um, I think he's an incredible talent. But I think yeah. this is a pivotal year for him. It's a huge year. Yeah. This will define the rest of his career in the league, I believe. This, this that a that's team. right. No, it's you're you and if he did, yeah. if he has the kind of year I think he's going to have, then then maybe he's going to strike out and get that. Yeah. I would like to see him get a deal before the season. You know, uh, I think it's in his best interest if they do. Like we talked about before, Ron. Yeah, I think that the club basically took him for granted. If you know Dak at all, his personality is a wonderful young man. Just a, Right.
1: We, we talked about that. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I think
0: they just figured, well, he'll, we'll get it done. You know, we'll be we'll get in the ballpark. And so they did all these other things. It was, you know, and they just kind of pushed him back thinking that this isn't going to be hard to do. I'm, You know, I don't know that, but this is my perception of the situation. And then they tried to get it done and it just not going to work like that. So,
1: yeah. Now they still have time to get it done, though.
0: They do, what is it, July 15th? They, what, July
1: what 15th, yeah. yeah. They So they've gotten roughly another week and a half or so. But does this mean, does this this Mahomes deal, if you are the Cowboys, if you're Jerry Jones, are, do you care? Your guy, yeah. Dak is your guy. He's going to be your guy. You can keep him for the one-year tenure that you've signed him for the franchise tag and then go to the table next year and – run it that way I mean there's a couple different ways they can run this but I don't feel like they're under the gun by any means to react to the Patrick Mahomes deal
0: well no yes and no I I think there's a statement here that the Cowboys are making that bothers me just a little bit Uh, not Hmm. getting this deal done you know there's a conviction in Kansas City whether they won the Super Bowl or not I think Patrick Mahomes was going to get a substantial contract I really do. Now, had they lost yeah. the Super Bowl, I, I still think that it's going to be relatively similar to what he got, but the, I don't know that there's that conviction in Dallas about D, uh, Dak Prescott. Right. Right. And like, yeah, that's a something message missing. That's a subtle yeah. message. Hey, we really love you. We like you, yeah, well, but you know, we just see. You yeah. Know? And with the, yeah. you know, with, with the, uh, the amount of money each club gets every year, you know, for the, you know, it's it's going up and up. So the salaries are going to go up. So all the players in the league are excited about the contract with Patrick, I'm sure. So, you yeah. know, the cap money is going to expand every year and it's going to go up exponentially. So, yeah, I just yeah, don't and that- know. It, it, the, and the other part of this deal with Dak is by postponing it and pushing it back a little bit. Maybe they're, they're not quite sure. Yeah. Maybe they're <laughs> just not sure that he's. You know, like you said, there's, he hasn't done it. He hasn't, you know, all that stuff. So
1: this is, you know, it's like a guy who's been dating his girlfriend for, I don't know, good, good little period of time. And he's taken her on trips. He's bought her clothes. He's, uh, you know, done everything except by the engagement ring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everything, everything. He bought her a Ferrari. did this for her, took her on trips and all that. But everything but the ring. So we'll see if Jerry parts with that ring anytime soon. Uh, Interesting story, and we'll move on from this. Uh, ESPN, NFL Network, they were not the first ones to report this story and break this story yesterday on the Mahomes deal. That honor belonged to a young woman named Katie Camlin, a liquor store employee who tweeted at 1221 p.m. After a front office employee with the Chiefs came in and bought six bottles of Dong Perignon and said, there's a big signing that's about to go down. We want to be ready. <laughs> and She <laughs> tweeted it. So she was the first. I want to make sure she gets that credit. OK, uh, Katie, yeah, you, you got that. the credit. If <laughs> no one else gives it to you, girl, I'm, I'm giving it to you. All right. And the sad part about it, she later deleted it, her tweet, because she got nervous thinking she did something wrong.
0: No, <laughs> oh, poor girl, yeah
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, anyway, good job, Katie. So my training camp is uh coming up, and good, bad, indifferent uh um, training camp to me was always man a nightmare. It was just the hardest time. Love the football part of it, but not that way. twice a day. One on one, seven on seven, pound your ass in, and then pound some more into meetings till about ten thirty at night and then get up and do it again. It was yeah. Mike, it used to be so bad when we'd get a day off, a Monday, a Sunday was considered a day off after going all week long in two-a-days, they'd give us Sunday morning off, but we'd practice in the afternoon, and that one would be in shorts and shoulder pads.
0: That oh, was, it was like a, a day good old days. Yeah, we we do walkthroughs <laughs> at night as a third practice. Yeah, no, that's – A it was third hard practice. On, oh, yeah, it was hard. Gosh. It was hard. It was tough duty. Um, yeah. I, I think the biggest issue for me with training camp these days is the amount of contact that's been limited. Linemen inside, they, they have to get in contact shape. It's not yeah. fair to go in and play a game without doing enough of the collision work that you have to do, and it's just – that's the, that's this game, and you do have to practice it. And by trying to eliminate that uh, in the training camp or reduce the numbers, I think is it affects the quality of play to some extent. So I think that um, you know what they did, you know, the collective bargaining agreement. What was it? Uh, I don't know eight nine years ago. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think was hard for young players because they don't get a chance, like you said, to go through that intense scrutiny of their skills and development and the mental part of it that the veterans had been through and now it just kind of changes the game a little bit
1: yeah so now okay here we go COVID-19 the NFL last Friday sent out a memo detailing uh, the COVID-19 protocol specifically for training camp and the preseason and by the way It looks like they're going to be going just with the two preseason games uh, in in lieu of four. And I know that's been talked about for a long time, but a couple of things that they have to get done. One is uh, the teams will need to perform what they call contact tracing if any person tests positive or possesses symptoms of the virus. So in other words, they're going to trace back to who are you with? and who are they with, and try to somehow connect the dots on this. Another item is any person in proximity of an infected individual would be required to be tested for eight straight days, eight straight days of testing, regardless of the test result. Then if a person who tests positive, they must remain away from the team facility for at least 10 days. I want to see that one happen. Unless testing negative, twice in a five-day span hmm. after a positive test. So so let me read that back one more time. A person who tests positive must stay away from the team facility for at least 10 days hmm. unless testing negative twice in a five-day span after a positive test. So again, if Russell Wilson comes down with this midway through the season, he has to leave the team facility for 10 days.
0: I guess he's going to skip mm, or something. Interesting. But I think yeah. uh, the other thing that I, I read, Ron, and I think this is accurate, that the league has decided now to test everybody at home before you come to camp as well.
1: Kids, well, yeah, that, wife, right. girlfriend—you
0: yeah. know—all so anybody that you live with also as an NFL player. That's um, right. You're getting tested.
1: Family, family, yeah, or family. acquaintances. Yeah. So that would—they that, right. found there a way to yeah. loop
0: the single guys in. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's dirty. Yeah. Oh man, those acquaintances could change a, a few times. But anyways, yeah, so that's 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 one way. Doctors must clear any person who tests positive before returning to the site. Okay, that's following up on what we're saying. An agreement has not yet been reached regarding players' ability to opt out of the season due to health concerns, which the NBA, MLB, NHL players have already done. Now think about what that's saying. The the NFL and the NFL Players Association has not reached an agreement regarding whether or not guys can just say, "Hey, I don't feel safe, and I am out of here," and probably the team would still have to pay them. Is that right?
0: Yeah, is there a I, force
1: majeure here or what?
0: Yeah, I don't. Uh, the league is never going to buy that. You know, they're just I, not you, gonna, I wouldn't. You, you wouldn't no. think. How can you, you know they're but, not going to pay somebody? It's not going to play. Obviously, you know, it's just, yeah. This is not going to happen. Yeah. You know, the, and yeah. the player association can pound on the table all they want. Those guys aren't going to pay a contract to somebody for not playing. They're just not going to work. That
1: no. Way. No, that's what, that's what I, I would think as well. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, more on that to be continued, obviously, as uh, tr- training camp gets closer and closer. In fact, the magic date is July 28th, so a full, a full two weeks away. So. We'll see how this one goes. And now we we'll leave you with this. Before we go, Mike, I got to ask you. Let's uh, discuss the top defensive backs around the league. I mean, who you like? I've got, I've got a couple guys I I kind of enjoy watching. Now, well,
0: who, who's your top guy? <laughs> who do you, who's your top guy?
1: I I I like. I, well, I like. Uh, let me give you three guys. Okay. Uh, um, Jair Alexander, the kid in Green Bay, uh, lo- love his aggression, love his, his feet, and uh, his step-and-replace attribute, uh, meaning he's able to uh, put a foot down, get another foot back up going, accelerate from A to B, uh, aggressive player, and he's got good closing uh, speed and range as well. Uh, I like Stefan Gilmore in New England. Stefan Gilmore used to be in Buffalo and Bill Belichick you know he had a chance to watch this guy because they played against him obviously twice a year so he knew what he was getting he's got the size he, he he runs well he's got good speed physical but he's he's a smart player I think he fits well he understands the scheme as, as they like to say up there do your job do it well and he does both of those very very well and so he's He's on my list. Good player there, and um, I, I I like uh, Jalen Ramsey. I like him a lot. I, I think he he'll under the right system, and that remains to be seen because they made a change in defensive coordinator. Under the right system, with a little bit of pressure, this guy can can be a lockdown corner. I think he tends to get frustrated at times if they're not doing things. The way he feels they should be done that 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 make him the best player he can be, and, and I get that.
0: I was probably a little like that myself. So, but so what do you so what do you mean by that though, Ron? Um, so, so in
1: other thing? words, pressure. If 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 we're doing things and we're not running schemes that are getting the right pressure, uh, that 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 would bother me. Next thing is if you got me playing off man coverage when my my best attribute is up press man. I got a problem with that because you're not putting me in the perfect position to be successful. Right. Yeah. Patrick so, Peterson is a perfect example of that. Patrick Peterson, he used to be pretty solid technique wise, really solid Mike. And the last, the Patrick Peterson of the last five years, he's not the same guy. Uh, there's why something's why changed. Whether, I it, it, Coaching. I think it's coaching. I, I think, See, it's kind of the Dion disease. When Dion came into the league, everyone said, "Ah, he doesn't need technique. He doesn't need technique. Let, <laughs> let him, let him go." Hell, he ran—you know—ran a four, two, four, one in yeah. sweats, whatever it was. And so, after a while, as long as you're making plays and no one's thrown over there, you can get away with that. Uh, but everybody, and, and I think Dion developed his own technique, by the way, which worked for Dion. But. Not everyone can get away with that. If you're not running those kind of numbers, you're going to need some kind of technique in this game. This is like saying, "Oh, well, he's a left tackle. He's got long arms. We don't need to teach him to kick step. He'll be okay." Yeah, yeah, that no. didn't work
0: that way. Yeah, no. I think he, one he of the things work. that that Dion did that people don't really realize is I'm sure he did his homework. He knew, yeah. you know, he knew your guys, your receivers, but in particular, he knew the quarterback. Yeah. And you know they're really yeah. great ones. They have a great feel for the helmet of the quarterback in the eyes and the footwork and when he settles yeah. there's a certain amount of time that that ball's got to come out and I think what you said earlier too is the amount of pressure. So many, so much of this is predicated on the quarterback has just so much time. And if he has more than that, I don't care who you are, you're not going to hold up. Not against good receivers. Yeah. Man-to-man coverage, you know, and so I think really the for me, I'd I'd have to look at all the press, the guys that play up and press, and and how good they are at it. And the the thing that bothers me so many times, particularly with the Cowboys down there, is when they when they would press on third down, third and four, third and six, invariably there's a you know illegal jam or holding or whatever, and that's just technique stuff. That, that's, that's, just yeah. that's just being sloppy that's just right. being sloppy and not having confidence and all that good stuff so well, the one thing that we left out a little bit in the db thing are the safeties and i've always felt ron that that position yeah, right. has been dismissed as just an also ran position so many times by people and in game playing to me the most critical position really after the pass rusher is are those safeties because they make a difference between a four-yard gain and a twenty-yard gain, or without question. You
1: know? Yeah, I should and have even renamed more, even that.
0: more so. Well, even more so for me than than the corners, because the corners, you can protect corners with somebody. You can get a guy out there, or or you can lay him off and undercut it, or you, you know, you know the limitations of the guy, and you can kind of help him. If you yeah. don't have a safety, if you don't have that guy in the middle, that you know, that can make a play on the ball in the air. Or direct traffic, or come downhill, make sure it tackles. I always looked at safeties, how good tacklers they were, and their yeah. their key and diagnosed. Though to me, that was so critical in game planning. People, you know, because they will also tell you coverage for the quarterback. So we'd sit in the quarterbacks and we'd spend our time looking at you know these safeties, trying to get an idea, and then and then we kind of look at the. I never cared so much about the corners. You know, because I always felt so good about our guys could beat anybody, you know, because they mm-hmm. were so quick in and out of stuff. And we just figured, you know, you do what you're supposed to do, you'll win. You know, provided the quarterback he'll hold up, you know, in the pocket. And the protection time is critical for any good corner. You know, all the great corners right. that have played in this league, there's a pass rush going on. Without a pass rush going on, I mean, you can't separate the two. They, they, like you said in the very beginning, Ron, it's just married. as you know. Being out there on the island – you know the clock goes off, and that ball should be out of there. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, and I, I, I made a mistake. There. I said defensive backs. I was speak, thinking specifically corners, obviously, because I didn't mention oh, yeah. any safety. No, I understand. But, yeah. but, but you're, you're right, Mike. We'll, we'll, we'll come back here maybe next week or down the line here, and we'll, we'll break apart each position and we'll get to those safeties. But, yeah, you have to have a safety that's got certain awareness in the field. I, I always felt like my best safety was a guy who had range and had great vision and anticipation. And you mentioned open field tackle. Yeah, if that guy can't tackle in the open field, you're you're done. You're, well, you'll well for st-
0: me, in the, the short time I was in the league, actually, Ronnie Lott was a phenom. I mean, yeah. there's, I've never seen anybody yeah. like him. Yep. I, I saw him come from the middle of the field and blow a back up onto the line of scrimmage just in a heartbeat. You don't mm-hmm. think he didn't do his uh, – Due diligence in terms of preparing for the game. Oh, that's that's. Have exactly you ever right. seen Ron? Have you ever seen Ryan Lott miss a tackle? That ball's in right. the air; he's gone. I mean, the anticipation. Right. If you want to study what a safety should be like, what they what they look like, you go back and look at his career.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and the key thing to the study there, Mike, is not so much. Okay, so in high school, the kid will go when the ball's left the quarterback's hand. That's when the safety will break on the deep ball, okay? Then in college, the guy will go a little sooner. So he'll go as the arm's coming forward, but the pros go as soon as the hand comes off the ball or they study enough, to your point, where they find another indicator. Maybe something else starts to move that that begins the throwing process. They go on that. And so, that's the difference. That's why I think young quarterbacks get in trouble when they get to the NFL.
0: So when you're developing a quarterback, run, I get excited about talking about this stuff because now we're, you know, we're talking now we're in about your wheelhouse. <laughs> <running in>. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you talk to quarterbacks about is how they use their eyes before the snap, yeah. as they're getting back, what they're looking at as indicators and the safeties yeah. are the same way. You know, the safeties will look at these quarterbacks and watch their head and so many safeties, Quarterback looks left and they break left. It's so stupid because he ain't gonna throw the ball unless those shoulders are going with the head. That's you know what right. I mean? So, That's all right. those little yeah. details yeah. Are, he, he looks left and there's a twitch. So, you're you looking at the shoulders of the quarterback and the tilt of the. When you drop back and you're a quarterback and you're gonna throw it out to the left, when you drop back, your, your upper torso is in a different position slightly than if you're throwing to the right, it just is. Yep. You know, They're right. really great, they understand that. They know. Eric Allen, I used to talk to him a lot about this stuff. He'd laugh. He says, you know, there's so many quarterbacks um, that you just know when the ball's coming over there because they, they before tip the, it. Yeah, they tip yeah. it and, and how they yep. drop and how they say, yep. you know, the thing that's kind of thrown some uh, football off a little bit in, from the safety perspective is this shotgun because there's no rhythm. There's very little rhythm in terms of the footwork for a lot of them back there. So whether it's a three-step, so, in other words, if it's a, going to be a quick throw, some of the quarterbacks are still taking a quick three after the snap, which to me is too late. You should, yeah. you should uh, settle in place. In other words, take the snap, shuffle, shuffle, throw it. If it's a five step drop, it goes to three. If it's a seven step drop, it can be three and hit twice or a quick five and shuffle up. So, all those things you, you learn as a safety and as a DB to analyze and look at. So, Body language of the quarterback is huge. And I'm not it's telling you anything so that you don't already know. And so many of these guys are so good at disguising it and making it look a little bit different and then manipulate. If we thought we could manipulate a safety, we we're going to have a big day in the seams.
1: You're damn right. No, that, that's what it's all about. We're playing Marino one year and we've got a, a cloud trap set up, Mike. I, I know you remember I got the you. old yep. cloud oh, trap? Yeah, yeah yep. right. We, we'd, I'd roll out as a corner. In the flat, and then, then center field turn and jump anything that was coming underneath. So, you know, Marino had a lightning quick release. He, you, couldn't, you couldn't bust up any leather on his throws because the ball was just out so fast. So one week I said, damn it, I'm going to get this guy. And I watched film, I swear, I watched film all freaking week long. And all I watched was, what is giving me an indicator? What is telling me the ball's coming? Is he stepping first? Is the hand coming off the ball first? Is he doing something else? And the more I watch him, I finally got it down to he was ever so slightly slinging that left elbow before he started that torso twist because he threw the ball from his waist, Mike. Yeah. You couldn't oh, yeah. see the ball. Yeah, right. it was just like, and and so I just would run that thing. But I think I actually broke. The VCR, I ran that sucker back so many times. But as soon as I saw that elbow flex out a little bit, that hand come, I was gone. And we ran the coverage in the game, and he threw it and I jumped it and picked it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but it was but it was all because I I just honed in on it so many times. I watched so much film. And in the film room, Dick Giron. Stop the film and said, you know, Ronnie, in the in the up in the press box, I thought you were a little early on this. I thought you you guessed, but now that I look at it, that's the only way you were going to make that play because you couldn't get a right. Marino throw any other way.
0: But but Ron, what you did goes back to this coaching thing. What you did somewhere along the line, the coach should have had that broken down for you and let you know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? The really great yeah. ones will go beyond like you did. They'll just take their stud, their film study way beyond and yeah. and that's you yeah. know that's what eric allen did that's why he was such a terrific corner in my mind in the league and you know, he was a great yeah. corner a little guy but just a great corner they understood it at a different level there's a difference in terms yeah. of being able to play it having the skill at a different level and then understanding the game at a different level and that's what you did and guys that do that survive not only just survive for a long time but they play at a high level continuously and you know i've <laughs> what you did, I don't know who your position coach was, but it was I, it was Dick Turan. Oh, it was Dick. So it was Dick I Turan. I promise yeah. you. Yeah. I promise you, Dick. Memory bank that, and then coach it after, because that, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. So when I, when I coach quarterbacks, that's I learned funny. something from every quarter. Cause I asked, why did you do that? He said, well, so I saw this. I said, okay, good. Well, I'll memory bank that right down. Then I'd use it. So I, every year I learned something new from every quarterback I ever had and used it to help the next guy get maybe just a little bit better. So you don't go through that long process again.
1: Yeah. That's see, that's what the great ones do. So you might, that's why you're a great one, right? There. <laughs> no, that, that a great one. I survived. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you know what they do to you once you got it down they say okay pump fake him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and take but him but you know deep. Ron
0: but, oh, but Ron, still the pump fake there's still there's still a lot of you can tell a pump fake uh, from a lot of quarterbacks
1: if you study it Just enough. You can library, there's a difference yeah you know yeah rubbish, there's a you difference know? Well, you know yeah. far,
0: when we played the Green Bay in 01 in the in the playoffs you know we picked him off five times two, two or three pick sixes I think and you know, we were kind of a cover t- – people thought we were a cover two-team, t- but we really weren't. So, Lovey Smith was our coordinator, and they showed um, basically zone dog or a three-deep structure, and they are so convincing. He came out and threw two to Aeneas Williams and covered two. He, Aeneas just Oof. sat there. But Aeneas did his yeah. homework too. Aeneas, Aeneas was did so his homework. Smart. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was a smart guy. All right, Mike. I know you got things to do up there in Idaho, man. You, you've, got, uh, you've got to get on that uh, Polaris and – drive all over the countryside I, know I you got to of these coals. little
0: ground squirrels that are eating my lawn out here it's wabbit season you
1: gotta get that Elmer Fudd gun <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> alright brother All right, thanks. fun Ron. as usual alright man we'll see you later now don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button I'm Ron Pitts with the coach Mike Martz and we hope you enjoyed our show Be sure and join us every Tuesday for a new episode. Next week, we'll take you inside the NBA training bubble at Walt Disney World. Just remember, we're two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe, everyone.
0: Run It Again with Ron Pitts and coach Mike Martz, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Networks production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.